0: Friends, you may understand this. You may know this, but you are unique. You are an individual. There is something special about you. But even so, even though all that is true, you're still somebody's doppelganger. And that theory holds true. You have no control over that. What that means is. That one day you're going to be walking down the street and someone's going to see you and just start staring at you. Or they're going to see a picture of you and think, oh, I've got to show this to so so and so because you look exactly alike. Your doppelganger is your twin. Everybody has a twin, we've heard, right? Somewhere walking around this world that somebody looks exactly like you. I don't know how scary or comforting that is. But there's somebody that looks just like you and you have no control over that. You don't get to choose your DNA or genetics. You come out the way you come out and that person does, too. And you just happen to look alike. Now, there's other people who maybe have a little more control. Uh, You ever heard when people um, look like their pets? Can can we? Yeah. What about the next one? Oh, my goodness. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Huh? <laughs> My favorite, though. Yeah. Now, maybe they don't have control over how they look, but I'm sure, you know, they got to be thinking, hey, wouldn't it be cute if I had this dog that looks just like me? Or what about this? You ever hear that couples that have been together for a long time, that they begin to resemble each other. Oh, isn't that so sweet? I have young couples that come to the office for premarital stuff, and one of the reasons why I ask me that, why do you want to get married? Oh, it's because we love each other. We even complete each other's sentences. It's so good. And the other one says, no, you just never let me talk. It's... That's different. There's this idea about how we can look like someone, and we may or may not have control. Over how that is to be. And you know, the old saying, if it looks like a duck, talks like a duck, sounds like a duck, then it must be a duck. But I think when we ask those questions, we forget probably the most important thing. Okay, if it looks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, what about does it think like a duck? See, I've got a more important question to ask you this morning. If it looks like a Christian, if it sounds like a Christian, it may be a. Or maybe not. Maybe there's another question we need to ask ourselves is, does that person think like Christ? We need to be able to think like Christ, I think, because, well, that's who we say we follow. It's easy to put on. And appearance, it's easy to say I must be doing something Christian. I must be sounding Christian. I have the right terminology. I use the right books. I come to the right kind of places. But, friends, that's only, I believe, half of what God wants us to understand. Maybe even the greater part is learning to think like Jesus, not just sound like or look like him. And so the next question obviously has to be, well, how did Jesus think of himself? Of course, we have the Apostle Paul to thank for a good explanation. He gives and it's funny because the Apostle Paul is never at a loss for words, seemingly. But when he gets to a point when he wants to talk about the coming glory of God, when he wants to talk about what Christ did, what Christ thought about himself, he doesn't come up with his own words. Instead, what he does is uses songs. The passage we read from Philippians, we consider to be one of, if not the oldest Christian hymns we have. It's kind of funny because Christians have been singing since day one. We even think maybe there's a chance that as Jesus was there on the cross, as he was crying out those words, we all know so familiarly that maybe he was singing those words. Kind of funny to a generation and to a culture who doesn't really like to sing well, another song. But friends, we've been singing for a long time because music has this way to take us to the deep part to how we're feeling, makes us pay attention a little more to, to what we're hearing, what we're doing. Irene, I think I've told you before, whenever you play exceptionally well, the influence of my sermon increases by thirty seven point seven percent. And when you don't. People walk out before I start. See, it's just no pressure. But we've been singing for a long time. And for Paul, one of the things he wanted to remember that we sing about is the power of God. The power of God was found in Christ Jesus so much so that one day every knee shall bow. Oh, and this is the preacher's favorite part. And every tongue will confess. Right now, maybe you do whatever you want. Maybe right now you don't feel like you have to bow. Maybe right now you can give your allegiance to other things. But there's going to come a day when you have no choice but to bend, to kneel, to recognize who God is, and to confess with your lips. And we sing about that. And we praise God for that. And we shout that. And we celebrate that. And we don't ignore that. But I think... Part of what's important for us is to hear how Paul started that proclamation. You heard the words that Clarence read and what what he said was, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. See, for Paul, before he could talk about that one day we would have to bend, one day we would have to confess with our lips, he said the only reason why we get to that point is because Jesus did something Extraordinary. And he did something extraordinary because of what he thought of himself. And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Well, okay. where's the next question? Well, what was in Christ's mind? Well, Jesus knew about himself. That if he was going to be faithful to what his father had called him to do, that if he was going to be able to finish the work of salvation that he came to do, that he would have to empty himself. He had to empty himself. You know those words of the prayer that he taught us. Not my will, but your will be done. Right? He had to understand that what he had to do was empty Himself. One day he's with his disciples and he, I imagine, overlooking where the temple is, thinking, it's really time. And he tells a couple of his disciples, All right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go in town. And as soon as you walk in, you're going to see a, a donkey there. And I want you to uh, untie the, the donkey. And, and spoiler alert, uh, somebody's going to ask you, what are you doing? And this is what you're going to tell them. Then bring it here. Because now there's no turning back. So, of course, the disciples go, find this donkey. Somebody asks them, what are you doing? Oh, the Lord needs it. Okay, bring the the donkey back, and Jesus mounts it and begins his procession into Jerusalem. Now, what we've got to realize is I think Jesus is being very particular about what he's doing one once one idea we need to keep in mind is that he is coming in from the East, which the Jews would have been waiting for Messiah to come in from. He was coming into what's called the Golden Gate, the Eastern gate, and that was to be a sign that Messiah was coming that gate is not to be used today because some people are still waiting for Messiah. He came riding on a donkey which was foretold and from prophets of old. And as he came into Jerusalem, people recognized him. People recognized something about him. Maybe they remembered something he said. And as they saw him coming along, they waved those branches, much like we saw this morning. And they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna. Which, if you, if you remember, means save. What they were saying to Jesus is, We see who you are. We see where you're coming from. We see you riding in. Now save us. Save us. Save us. Of course, they expected and they wanted Jesus to save them from Rome. Not keeping in mind what Jesus really wanted to do, not keeping in mind that Jesus wasn't concerned about being their king over Rome, not keeping in mind that he wasn't concerned with having them cry out. You see, Jesus is taking a kingly form. He's done all these things, put all these things into place to give us the visual that, yes, I am a king but not the one you think. Mark tells us, these words just stand out to me, that Jesus came to the end of that parade, which doesn't seem to last very long. It must have been a minute after 12 or something, and people were ready to go. But he looked out. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what he said or what he thought, but we're told in other accounts that It was sorrowful. The people really didn't understand the visitation. They didn't understand what was happening right before them. They didn't understand that I've come all this way to serve you. I've come all this way so that over the next few days... I could save you. I'm not going to save you by beating the king that's over you now. I'm not going to save you by imprisoning other people. I'm going to save you by setting you free. See, what Jesus understood about himself is that he needed to become fully empty so that he could fill himself with God's will. God's will was for the people to see a king like they hadn't seen before. God's will was for his only son to be ridiculed, to be shamed, to be put to death so that we could see the kind of love that would save us and that we were to live by. We've got to understand that, It's not just important to try to look like Christ or to sound like him. We need to be able to think like him. We need to be able to have the same idea that he had, that my life is not my own. And that if I'm going to be committed to God, if I am going to be faithful to God, I've got to get rid of my will so that it can be replaced fully with God's will. I don't know if you realize this, but God's will is different than your own, and thank God for that. Those people who have been married for a long time—we've uh, done studies about them, how they begin to look alike, or how some of them resemble each other—and it's kind of kind of uh, neat to think that um, for many of these people, what seems to be the key factor and what makes them so. Uh, are the experiences that they've shared. In other words, you have a spouse who's just so happy-go-lucky, who's just so full of joy, always telling jokes, always laughing, always seeing the brighter side that the spouse just can't help after all those years to kind of take on the same form. And they begin to smile together. They begin to have the same kind of creases in their faces, the same kind of facial expressions. The opposite would be true for someone who lives a very painful life that because of these shared experiences, we begin to look like each other. Well, I want to suggest to you that Christ is inviting us to share the experiences that he has had. And that as we do that, we can see what it feels like to be emptied. We can see what it feels like to be betrayed We could see what it feels like to be ridiculed. We could understand what it feels like to be left alone. More importantly, we could know what it means to be used by God. Kinesis, that's the word. Emptying of yourself. That the reason why... We bow before Christ. The reason why we lift up Christ's name now is because he understood to fulfill God's saving power. He had to empty himself completely. And that is what he did. And friends, you and I, as Christ followers, need to learn to think like Christ. How is it that we can empty ourselves of our own will so that we can replace it? With God's. How can we begin to think differently about our life and about the life of other people, about our circumstances? How can we begin to see things the way God does? It was only because Christ had emptied himself, only because he saw people the way God did that as he was there on that cross, he could say crazy things like, Father, forgive them. Because he learned how to think like God. Sisters and brothers, you can be in church all your life and learn to walk and talk like Jesus, but never learn to think like him. You could decide today. I changed my mind and I want to think like Jesus. Jesus. God's work is done. God's work is finished. Christ has showed us the way. The only thing left for us is to decide how we will think about ourselves. Let's pray. Oh, God, we know that uh, your will... Is what brings true peace and true love. So we ask that you would forgive us when we have sought after our own will above yours, when we had tried to live our own lives instead of the life you have set before us. Free us today, God, to know what it means to trust you and to live for you fully. In Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, amen.